Language is so psychologically powerful that people all over the world treat it like a kind of magic. Word magic. We all are victims of the illusion that words can impinge on uh, the world and uh, impinge on our, uh, on our souls. Many people fear curses. God damn you, go to hell, or far worse. There are cultures in which a sorcerer, by uttering a spell, dooming a person, can make that person cringe in such terror that they uh, curl up into a ball and die. It's called voodoo death. Even those of us who don't literally die will often feel that words can, uh, can wound. We uh, certainly feel that way with obscenities, even though there are changing standards over time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, which was scandalous in 1939 at the end of Gone with the Wind and barely raises an eyebrow today, or not bloody likely, not only shocked the companions of Eliza Doolittle in the original production of Pygmalion, but shocked the theater goers in England when they heard an actress utter that word in 1913. Uh, in the film version, My Fair Lady, they had to change it to move your bloomin' arse at a racetrack to convey the same level of shock. Now that we kind of laugh that early audiences thought that, that those uh, words were dangerous or uh, wounding, but we have our own uh, taboo words. We talk about the, uh, the F-bomb, newspapers of record. You know, there'll be a strategically placed uh, asterisk for a word like uh, bullshit. And there are some words that uh, even today in an era where you might think anything goes are considered so dangerous, so injurious, so harmful that no one will utter them. In particular, the so-called N-word, a racial epithet that even if you're having a linguistic discussion on words, uh, you had better not utter um, that particular combination of uh, sounds. We all uh, are sometimes wary of what we say as if God might be listening. Almost no one, say in a car trip, would say, well, gee, uh, nothing has gone wrong so far. Isn't that great? And you'd say, oh my God, you know, knock wood, as if somehow someone is listening and the mere uttering of the words can bring on uh, misfortune. These are all manifestations of the psychological phenomenon called word magic. One of the first things you learn when you consider language is the concept of the arbitrariness of the sign. That really, words don't have magical powers. There's nothing that you can uh, bring about in the world just by having a sound escape your lips. It's just a convention. Everyone in a community uh, tacitly agrees that a particular sound is going to go with a uh, particular concept, a particular meaning. But the intuition of word magic is deep. I think it comes from the fact that language is so automatic that words bring about an emotion, an idea, faster than we can think through the underlying processes, so it feels like magic. And one of the questions that I've always been interested in is how, do, how does word magic work? I've explored the linguistics of taboo language, including swearing and racial epithets. My lecture on the seven words you can never say on television, to borrow the title of an old comedy routine by George Carlin, never fails to get a reaction uh, of audiences. I even got in uh, trouble once in going through a list of the words and including the N-word by even mentioning it in the context of a linguistic discussion was considered to be uh, offensive. Uh, one question you can ask is when do kids um, outgrow word magic to the extent they do, which is not completely for uh, any of us. And with a, a student of mine a long time ago, Tamar Rosenblum, we asked the question, are kids subject to word magic and, and how do they outgrow it? This came from an old 
phenomenon discovered by the great Swiss child psychologist Jean Piaget, who found that if you ask kids the questions like, is caterpillar a big animal or a small animal, they'll often say a big animal because the word caterpillar is big. Or could we call this dog a horse? And kids would say no. And uh, you'd say, why not? Well, it's got four legs and it barks. They think of the word dog as one of the attributes of a dog rather than as an arbitrary label. Now, there were suspicions that one of the things that can get kids to realize that words are just words, not a part of the object, uh, is if the child is bilingual. Because if a child grows up with two languages, and some people call it dog and other people call it uh, chien or kelev or, or hund, then uh, that is a clue that it, the word is not part of the object, but it's just something that people say in talking about the object. So uh, t uh, Rosenblum and I looked at kids who are monolingual and bilingual, and we asked them questions like, could you call this table a dog? Why or why not? Now, we had a feeling that there wasn't going to be so much a difference between monolingual and bilingual kids, as you might expect, given that bilingual kids have direct evidence that words are arbitrary. Because all, even if you're monolingual, a, a dog is also an animal, it's also a, a collie, it's also a living thing. So things can have multiple labels. That's not the revelation that you come across when you're bilingual. The revelation is that it depends on who's doing the talking. And so we thought that kids' answers to the question, why or why not, would be more informative than whether what answer they give, gave. And this, by the way, came, comes right out of the uh, book of Jean Piaget, that uh, by asking kids the rationale for their answers, you get more insight as to what goes on in their heads than whether they're right or wrong. So we asked kids, can you call this, this dog a table? Sometimes can you call this dog a shig? What we did find is that monolingual kids who said, no, you can't, would appeal to some property of the object. Well, you, you can't call it a cow because it barks. Or if they did say you could call it a cow and you say, well, can you get milk from it? They'd say, well, yeah, because it's, it's a cow, not realizing that changing the name doesn't change the thing. Monolingual kids were still subject to that uh, word magic. Bilingual kids, they didn't differ as to whether they said yes or no, but they did give completely different explanations. For the kids who said, no, you can't call a dog a cow, why? They'd say, well, no one will know what you're talking about. The, the kids in the other classroom will get all confused. Or if they say, yes, you can, and you say, why? And they said, well, you, we're playing a game and that's what we're doing right now. So they really were insightful. They were engaging in what is sometimes called meta-linguistic ability, that is knowledge about language as an object of thought and contemplation. And that's one of the gifts of being uh, bilingual. You outgrow your word magic, you realize that words are conventional social labels.